We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week on the State of the Union, we'll be talking about, ooh, La Liga, as it gets set to return. We'll be also talking about a potential European salary cap. Hmm. We'll talk about MLS teams and how they would fare in the EPL. We're going to talk about the top U.S. quote-unquote athletes playing soccer or not playing soccer, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Sunday, June 7th, as we record a new State of the Union podcast? I am doing well, all things considered. All things considered, exactly. Look, we still uh, muddle through these interesting times. At times, I know, uh, and, I, and I told you before, I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to tell you what to do. We talk about soccer. We all understand that it pales in comparison. This is a respite from everything. You know, at times, I feel uh, in these interesting uh, moments and this interesting moment in history that we've you know, we're truly lost, and then other times I feel we're truly found, and maybe we're somewhere in the middle. But you know, hopefully, everybody continues to stay safe uh, and sane through it all. Mossy, uh, you know we always talk about what we're watching. I'm going to throw it over to you, but I do have something that I just finished watching that I do think it bears referencing uh, when it comes to television out there. Because as we said in previous pods, we're, we're starting to scrape the bottom of the barrel. And so we, you have to be kind of a detective and go looking for some things out there. What are you watching, my friend? I have started binging Fauda, which is a Netflix show my father had been highly recommending. What is that? What's it about? It's about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which has actually sent me on a deep dive on the subject. I've been reading all sorts of articles about it. So I am the one person in America this past week who my form of escapism was actually something more intense than what was on the news. <laughs> is, it, um, is it an ongoing thing or is it a starting-finish thing? You know, how, you know how I feel about these things. So are you going to wait uh, for next season? Or? 
I believe it is ongoing. Uh, okay. They've done three seasons so far, and I believe they're planning to do more. But is it, it is, I'm in the middle of season two, and it is sensational. So, Is it a historic retrospective type of thing? Is it, is it based in the past, or is it uh, current? What's, what, what are we looking at here? Uh, current. Oh, okay. But with, obviously with references to the longstanding uh, history and, and difficulties and violence and all that. Okay, got it. All right, that's, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, I went, I went looking for something. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Netflix and you know, I'm, I, I have uh, some Netflix and I got the, uh, the Amazon thing going. And a, uh, an Amazon original, I guess they would call it, and a limited thing in that, as everybody knows, my rule is I have to be able to, to binge it, start from finish. This is a eight-part drama, I guess it would be, uh, thriller in the vein of the Narcos type of genre, I guess. Maybe that's something that's, uh, that's a thing. And it's called Zero, 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 okay? Yeah, if you, if you go on Amazon, you'll probably see the advertisements for it. Although I do feel that they've kind of buried it. Uh, and maybe it's just the onslaught of all these other things that are out there. And sometimes you get lost in the mix. But I'll tell you what, it was, as I said, eight different episodes. I binged from start to finish. It was very good for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is that if you do watch it and if you, and, uh, and, and I do recommend it, it is a, you know, it's not going to change your life, but it's a wonderful eight hour type of binge. The lead character, one of the lead characters is a woman by the name, an actress by the name of Andrea Riseborough, I think it is. You may have seen her in a bunch of different things out there, but the uncanny resemblance to Megan Rapino is is just blowing my mind every single time I, I, th I see this. And I couldn't help but thinking with the news over the last couple of weeks that the U.S. women from uh, 1999 are getting a, a movie. If there is ever some sort of movie and dramatization that involves Megan Rapino, this is a, a perfect actress for, uh, for playing that. I mean, just the, the way that she looked and she had that whole blonde, short bob type of thing going on throughout the entire uh, series. But it goes all, it goes from Mexico to Italy to everywhere in between. You're, not, you're nodding your head, so maybe you've watched it here. If, those of you that have know exactly what I'm talking about, it, but I do give it two thumbs up. Uh, I did watch it. It was actually the very first thing I watched during this quarantine way back when. And I agree with everything you said. Uh, the resemblance to Megan Rapinoe is uncanny. And I thought the show was excellent. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's about one drug shipment making its way from a Mexican cartel to an Italian mafia family with a New Orleans shipping family yeah, uh, I mean, it is, handling the transportation. And it's incredible. The twists and turns it takes through like Africa and Senegal. And it's incredible. And you got Gabriel Byrne, you know, a, a massive type of actor you might remember from Usual Suspects and all sorts of things who kind of starts and then finishes mid mid series. I'm not giving anything away, but it's a really interesting one. As you mentioned, you know, it goes through uh, Casablanca and all sorts of different things through Africa. So there was a hell of a budget for for this thing. And it is a, a twisting and winding type of story. There's nothing necessarily redeeming about it, okay? You're not going to get any type of meaning or social change when it comes to it, but it's a wonderful escape and a ride and an adventure. So I do, uh, I do recommend that. But now I'm at the bottom of the barrel again, so I got to go back through. And I know everybody's doing this dance now where you, you're flicking through and you're trying to find at least something. And you have that, that mental hierarchy that you have put stuff in the past where you've kind of shelved it and say, eh, I really don't want to watch that right now, or eh, it just doesn't look good. And now those that you push to the bottom are actually starting to come up to the top and are looking that much more appealing. I almost pulled the trigger on one last night that I had been keeping, uh, you know, it always been kind of knocked down because there was something else better. But 
nowadays, Mossy, there's, there's not something else better. So, uh, you know, we, we still struggle. If you do have uh, suggestions for us, please send them through. People have been very good on the uh, social media machines out there of letting us know if there are something, uh, if there is something out there for us to watch. All right, listen, we're here to talk about soccer. As we said in the open, soccer continues to come back online. And we're going to talk about that in all of its different forms. Ready to light this candle, Mossy? Yep. All right. As you know, we usually start out with the State of the Union. During this interesting time of, uh, of life, we have done away with that. We will come back to that at some point in the future because I, I, I have some, uh, shall we say, uh, pulpit-esque type of things that are brewing in my mind. So maybe we'll come back to that in, uh, in the near future. But we're going to jump right into it. And we're going to jump right into La Liga because uh, we told you last week about the list and the way that these leagues are starting to come back online. It's not all the same and it's not all at the same time. So La Liga, uh, we are recording this on Sunday, uh, will come back online this week. Correct me if I'm wrong, Monsi. I think the first game starts on Thursday and then they continue to go through the week. So inevitably, we are going to not just watch it, but we're going to watch it with a critical eye and we're going to compare and contrast. Obviously, when you say La Liga, you're also talking about uh, stars, not the least of which is one, if not the greatest player ever to play the game, debatable, but certainly the case can be made in uh, Leo Messi. And that's reason enough to watch uh, certainly Barcelona and to watch uh, the league that he, uh, that he plays in. Always an interesting league. Mossy, w- uh, relative to the Bundesliga coming back, how excited are you about La Liga coming back? And where and why is that excitement out there for you? I'm very excited. Uh, first game, Thursday, June 11th, will be the Seville Derby, Sevilla against Betis. So a great way to return. And then you have a fantastic title race brewing between the big two, which has not been a common occurrence in recent years. Barcelona have more or less dominated La Liga. They're going for their fifth title in six seasons. But Real Madrid looking to dethrone them. Zinedine Zidane had identified La Liga as his main priority this season. Barcelona are two points clear of Real Madrid with 11 rounds left. Real Madrid do own the head-to-head tiebreaker. First game back for each is Barcelona will face two Holdens Mallorca. Real Madrid will take on Abar. But so that is the biggest point of interest for me. You also have a terrific top four race. Three through six are separated by just two points. You have Sevilla in third, Sociedad fourth, Getafe fifth, and Atletico Madrid in sixth. And then you also have the relegation battle, which, as I just mentioned, does involve one of our colleagues and friends to hold Mallorca. They are in the bottom three right now, along with Leganes and Espanyol, sort of looking to climb out of it. So I think there's intriguing stuff all up and down the table. So for people that are new uh, or just don't know, when we mentioned Stu Holden in the context of Mallorca, he is a uh, minority owner in the club, along with others. It is American-owned, and you know it's been a wonderful and interesting adventure for him and talking to him, especially just in normal times, but certainly the La Liga going through what it's going through, and in particular, Mallorca being a small team whose only and primary goal is just to stay up because it completely changes the economics uh, from, from league to league. And so they are, you know, they are not sitting pretty. They are sitting in a very precarious position right now. And so they got to figure out a way. And as you mentioned, their first game back is against Barcelona. The, look, the, the Barcelona-Real Madrid back and forth is always going to be there. It's an evergreen type of thing, but it is also always going to be interesting and something that I will tune in for, uh, you know, especially with, you know, with what, with what we don't know. And I know we're, t- we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, about Champions League uh, later on, but, you know, this is 
obviously coming back first. This is going to be the priority. I think we mentioned last week, but it's worth repeating that Real Madrid has made the decision to play their home games at their training facility. The, uh, what is it, the Alfredo Di Stefano Stadium uh, at their training facility. And I'll be interested to see what that looks like, especially when we, when we start talking about Major League Soccer and a, a much more training facility type of location for what we're going to see there. People will still tune in. Debate this week about, uh, and, and continued debate this week about what it's going to look like and what it's going to sound, uh, sound like. It was really interesting to me. I, evidently, nothing happens unless the English uh, actually are aware of it, okay? That's when everything starts because you start to see some, you know, some takes out there and some uh, reactions out there to things that have been going on and that we've been discussing for a long time. But until it comes on somebody's radar, Oftentimes, they have no idea that it's actually happened or that's being dis uh, discussed. So the discussion as to what the EPL is going to look like when it comes back on, and in particular, with what type of audio they're going to use. We talk so much about the enhanced audio. So I'll be interested to see, from a, I guess, a creative standpoint, what La Liga looks like. You also mentioned the fight down below in terms of relegation or potential relegation and the significant impact that it can have on a, uh, on a business uh, and especially a business like Mallorca, which even in the best of times struggles and has to do things uh, very, very prudently and efficiently and economically, we all know that these are not the best of times. And so right now that priority and that pressure on them, but also getting up the top for those, for those teams to finish in Champions League spots for next year. And you bet that every single team, regardless of how big they are, they need to find a way to... I guess the word would be to bank some revenue and to have some potential revenue out there or assured revenue out there going forward because everybody is tightening their belt straps right now with a recognition that while we may be coming out of the, uh, the dire situation that we have been in, the economic impact and the problems and the challenges that leagues and teams are going to face, that is going to last a whole lot longer. Mossy. One interesting debate in Spain uh, this past week that I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Some regions in Spain are in much better shape than others and good enough shape, in fact, that they could actually contemplate having fans at their games. But La Liga shut that down, not for health reasons, but for competitive fairness reasons. They said if some teams are going to have to play in empty stadiums and everybody should have to play in empty stadiums. What do you make of that? Would you have objected to some teams being able to have fans at their home games and others not? It's a good question, Mossy, and I think that we're going to deal with it actually here in the United States, too. We're already seeing places like Texas that are opening up, I guess you will, and already talking about, you know, we started at the 20% uh, capacity, moved up to the 30 and possibly 50% capacity. I told you from the start, Mossy, this is not about being fair, okay? I, I can respect and appreciate that they want to try to be fair, but don't bite off your nose to spite your face, in that if certain places are able to do something safely, look, it has to be a priority. I understand that has to be safely. But if they determine that it is safe for certain places to do this, why would you hamstring them? Why would you hurt them? I get the competitive advantages. I, I, I understand that. But once again, you know, this is a crisis situation from a business perspective, okay? This is a situation where all hands on deck, you got to figure out ways to get through this. And a good friend of mine always talks about don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. And so if a, a team in a community has the opportunity to have people into the stadium, to get a gate, 
albeit a much smaller gate, but still to get that revenue in that gate and to do something that's going to resonate with the community and outside of it because people are going to watch it because it is going to be unique. I, I just, why would you hamstring them from doing that? And I get it. I, and I, I get the competition part of it, but I just think in this, in this period of time, there are going to be people that aren't going to, and teams and clubs that aren't going to always have, uh, that are going to be advantaged and disadvantaged going forward. And I think you're going to waste a lot of time and a lot of energy. And I think you're, end up, you're going to end up hurting yourself more by constantly trying to make it fair because it's next to impossible for it to be fair. I believe that's a Voltaire quote. Uh, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. I, I, I might be getting my French philosophers mixed up, but. Um. Well, we're not going to, you know, stand on principle here or, uh, you know, hold your feet to the fire when it comes to, you know, philosophy or quotes out there. And, and uh, my friend, sorry, it should be noted that my friend certainly did not take it as, uh, as his own. He just, you know, right. in this, in this moment where we are talking about things, uh, I think his point was you have to do what is necessary to survive. You have to do what is necessary for you to continue to have a business and getting into the minutia and the details. I'm going to talk about this later uh, on the pod is not necessarily helpful going forward and can be detrimental to the cause. And the cause is not thriving. The cause is surviving at this point right now. Uh, what else? Well, on the injury front, the one silver lining of this stoppage is two players who would have been out for the season are actually back and available. Uh, Luis Suarez and Eden Hazard, which is good to see. And Messi is battling a little bit of a muscle problem right now, but he's expected to be available for Barcelona's first game back against Mallorca. So bad news for Stu Holden there. And speaking of Barcelona's attack, Antoine Griezmann made news this past week by saying he... 100% wants to finish his career in MLS. Uh, did you see those quotes and what did you make of that? I did. It's not surprising. We know he spends a lot of time in here. We'll often see him uh, actually here in Los Angeles. We'll see him around. It, 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 to me, it's a no-brainer, okay? I think he is, he, outwardly, and I don't know this because I don't know him personally, but outwardly, he has always shown an affinity uh, and an appreciation and an and, uh, you know, an interest and a curiosity in things American. We know is you know basketball and all the all these different things. I think it would be something that he has eyed, that he recognizes would be good for him, something that he would enjoy. And I think you know a player like him, you know, I think he would sell tickets. Would he be a star with the impact level, the likes of you know a Thierry Henry? He's not really that dynamic type of player, but he certainly can come in and be a Valeri-esque type of impact player when uh, when he comes in. And I would love I would love to see that, especially when you know <laughs> I hear people talking about the potential for players to come and the uh, Mario Bal Balotelli type of uh, situation that's going on right now. So yeah, I'd, I would. Uh, I would love to see that. What else uh, La Liga-esque are you uh, thinking about? By the way, it, sh it should be said, uh, speaking of people standing on principle, it is Voltaire, as Luis Aguilar has uh, informed us in our group chat here uh, during the show. So uh, Now, do we think Luis looked that up, or he's an expert on French philosophers, and so he just knew that, oh, yeah, that's... Well, what he's an expert on is just dropping in a text and not giving us any real context on how he came to... to and I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, all right? Because he is a smart man. And uh, that he knew it was Voltaire, 
you know, just confirms everything that I think about him and that he's a uh, pompous ass. Okay. What else, Mossy? Well, I, I'm good on La Liga, but I, I do have some stuff I want to discuss in some of the other European leagues. Okay. Yeah. Let's go around because, uh, you know, they, they are coming online here in the next, uh, next few weeks. But, uh, you know, that's the La Liga situation. I think we'll all be watching once again, both from the competition standpoint on the field and the competition standpoint when it comes to the compare and contrast with how the productions of these games are relative to the Bundesliga. All right, go on. Other, other leagues. Well, in Italy, I mentioned this last week, they were planning to do the Coppa Italia first and then Serie A. They have confirmed that is the, the plan. So Friday, June 12th, Juventus will host AC Milan in a Coppa Italia semifinal second leg. The first leg was 1-1 at the San Siro. And then the following day, June 13th, Napoli will host Inter in a semifinal second leg. Napoli won the first leg 1-0 at the San Siro, so they're in great shape to advance. The winners will then square off Wednesday, June 17th in the final at the Olimpico in Rome. And then Serie A will resume Saturday, June 20th. Juventus with a one-point lead over Lazio at the top of the table. Juve trying to win their ninth straight Serie A title. Lazio last won it in 99-2000, back when they were managed by Sven Goran Eriksson and featured the likes of Alessandro Nesta, Marcelo Salas, Pavel Nedved, Diego Simeone. There's a lot of Ronaldo buzz, by the way. Supposedly, he was working out several hours a day throughout this whole quarantine. He returned to Turin in absurdly good shape, and everybody's expecting him to go absolutely berserk for the remainder of the season. I'm sure that would not surprise you in the least. It would not surprise me because the man is a, uh, you know, he's a professional and he is an athlete, the likes of which our, our sport has rarely seen, not never seen, but rarely seen. And ultimately, as we said last week, he's the closest thing to a Jordan in terms of that competitive streak. And so I think that he will be licking his chops for the opportunity to just add on to what has already been an illustrious and arguably the greatest career ever. And then the Premier League still slated for a Wednesday, June 17 return. Uh, Great news in the latest round of testing. Nobody tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, One source of contention still is this idea of staging some games at neutral venues. Already, right off the bat, um, Everton are slated to host Liverpool on Sunday, June 21st. If Manchester City were to lose to Arsenal on June 17th, then Liverpool could clinch the title with a win over Everton in that game. And there's some fear that Liverpool clinching their first league title in 30 years with a win over, of all teams, Everton at Goodison Park is such a delicious scenario for Liverpool fans that they're not going to be able to resist pouring onto the streets to celebrate. So there's some talk that that game should be played at a neutral venue. Both clubs are against it. They're fighting to keep that game at Goodison. The mayor of Liverpool has gotten involved. He wants that game at Goodison Park. What do you make of this whole situation? You know, the, uh, the fear uh, and the anxiety is, is well-founded when it comes to the worry of people gathering outside the, the stadium. I, I will say that certainly events over the last week have, uh, you know, <laughs> have thrown the potential for mass gatherings uh, into a new light. Okay, <laughs> so I, and it doesn't mean that it should happen, and it doesn't mean that it's that it's going to happen when it comes to the celebration. I recognize it's a concern. I think people will be will be smart. You know, somebody asked me about the other day on Twitter about. Liverpool being crowned and they will be crowned. It's just a matter. It's not a matter of if it's just a matter of, of when, um, but the title and we've, we, I think we've talked about this before. I know we've talked about this before. It will forever have this caveat and this asterisk 
uh, associated because of the unique circumstances that exist in the, I guess the 2019-2020 season. And, you know, there are going to be people out there that forever, okay, and because Liverpool is a super club, as many people hate it as love it, but all, everyone pays attention. And there are going to be people out there that forevermore will try to use the unique circumstances as a reason to frame this title as invalid or less valid than others. And it's not. It's still a title. They did the work that it didn't finish in the traditional way. I understand that. And in a certain way, it's going to make it more memorable. People are going to talk about it more so than others. We, we forget title winners, okay? And I say we, I'm not talking about if it's your club. If it's your club, you always remember that. But the general public forgets title winners. You will not forget who won the title EPL-wise, if you're an EPL fan, in that pandemic year, okay? Or that pandemic season. It's going to resonate. But as I said, there will be those discussions at bars for decades to come about whether it is of the same value as the previous year or future years when it comes to, yes, you won the title. There will always be that but. But within that but will actually make it something that makes it more memorable. Uh, the celebration of it, I think they will be rightly muted. And there will come a time when the party can happen in, in its truest sense. And Liverpool faithful and all of our friends that have been waiting for this moment for so long will be able to do it in the way that they see fit, but more importantly, in a, uh, in a, in a safe way. And, I, and look, I, I, hope no, I hope that nothing happens. I hope people are smart and recognize that, that it's still not appropriate for them to congregate and, and mass, even as wonderful a, of an accomplishment as this is, and one that is worthy of celebration. That celebration is just going to have to, be, have to be different and have to be postponed till later. I will say on the topic of fan behavior, one incident that really troubled me this past week is what Benfica fans did. The Portuguese Superliga came back. Porto and Benfica are on this in this eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball title race. Porto lost their first game back. So Benfica played the following day at home against Tondela, and with a win, they could have leapfrogged Porto into first place, but they drew nil-nil. Okay, but the team bus on the way out of the stadium was stoned by Benfica fans and glass was shattered, players were injured, a couple of guys, Julian Weigel included, who we know from the Bundesliga, had to get rushed to the hospital, and it absolutely boggles my mind. Obviously, that behavior is unacceptable under any circumstances, but especially this one. You have a team playing its first match in three months in an empty stadium, adapting to this new reality, and why you wouldn't cut them a little slack and focus on the positive of just being happy that football is back. Already, the fans were in this stone the bus mode over a bad result like in the first match in three months but mossy come on that's real fandom that oh sorry not fandom no no that's real supporters okay that's true authentic genuine real supporters culture it's not the manufactured and fabricated and plastic fandom that we over here in north america subscribe to and, you know, obviously I'm being uh, facetious, but that is the argument, honest to God, that a lot of people will use when we talk about who's more passionate about the game, okay? And it's a bunch of bullshit, okay? You're not more passionate because you're dumb, okay? And that's what that is. That's just dumb, okay? 
and 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 you're absolutely and you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, it's nothing new. We have seen it. Okay, the game certainly has changed, and I think it's changed for the better when it comes to fan behavior. And maybe it's just a, a logical consequence of the evolution of technology and higher ticket prices, or whatever it whatever it is. The amount of problematic situations that we see has decreased, and that in the better security and, and all that, but still. You know, something like that, as despicable as it may be to see it, it's it's not that surprising, even in this moment. But shame, shame, shame uh, for for people doing something that even in the best of times, doing something, uh, doing something like that. Uh, what else, Mossy? Other leagues? Then, uh, in the Bundesliga, uh, I don't know what else there is to say about Bayern. I will say they had a win away to Leverkusen this past weekend. Leverkusen minus Kai Havertz, which was a real shame, him missing yep. that match due to injury. I must admit, I feel stupid saying this. I did allow a moment in the first half of that game. The score was 1-1. Lewandowski got booked, which meant he was suspended for their next game against Gladbach. And I allowed myself to think, if Leverkusen ever nick a point here and then Bayern have to play Gladbach without Lewandowski, they might drop points there. This might open the door for Dortmund to actually make this oh a race again. God. And a few minutes later, Bayern scored their second goal. They went on to cruise, and I felt like an idiot for even thinking it. So they are cruising towards their eighth straight I can't title. even believe you let yourself <laughs> think that in that moment. It was interesting because if you listened to the, uh, you know, the commentators uh, on the world feed that we were taking, they also were talking about it. And I ended up, you know, looking around at nobody because nobody's watching with me, but uh, looking around in my house saying, wait, wait what? Is, did, am I miscalculating something? I had to go back to the standings <laughs> to make sure that I was looking at the same standings that, uh, uh, that they were. The title race is not on, okay? The title race is over, and it's over yet again. And surprise, surprise, it's Bayern Munich. Doesn't mean I'm not going to watch. It doesn't mean it's not interesting to me. But there was that moment. But that moment has come and gone. And it was well before this weekend where there was that glimmer of hope. But, you know, Bayern going into Dortmund and winning away, that did away with everything. I do want to say, though, uh, Dortmund later on Saturday beat uh, Hertha Berlin 1-0. Jadon Sancho was absolutely electric in this oh. game. Even though he scored a hat-trick in the previous game against Paderborn, I still felt like he was missing a spring to his step in that game. This was the first game that he felt like well and truly back and was just doing things that had me like jumping off the couch. Even uh, when he didn't the- score, it was magical stuff he was doing. You know, I mean, the, the, the highlights didn't even necessarily result in goals. Uh, you know, he was putting balls past people and running. I mean, it's, it, it's so fun and amazing and wonderful to see a player grow so fast. You know, and, it, and we, we've talked about the road less traveled and the different path that he took as an English player. And in this case, it has made all the difference in terms of his growth, uh, in terms of his uh, increasing. I, I think he's gotten even, even better when it comes to his uh, harnessing the skills that he has, you know, he looks like a, not, not just a seasoned pro, but a seasoned star in that when, you know, when you see stars, Mossy, they, they love the fact that it's on their shoulders. They love the fact that when they get the ball, they are expected by everybody uh, to do something it, that the pressure of that doesn't seem to phase him at all. And that's, you know, that's what's, that, that's, what's fun. And that's what makes the conversation of, Okay, what's next for him? Uh, that much more. That much more interesting because the, the the sky is the limit. And I absolutely agree with you. It was even in a game like that where there weren't goals. This is the, this is one of those games where you can still have immense joy just watching that player play. 
And then on the Champions League front, stay tuned for some developments there in the next week or two because WAFER are going to have a meeting to finalize uh, what the plan is. And a proposal that's gaining momentum is to stage the quarterfinals, semifinals, and final all in Lisbon. They would put the eight teams up at eight different hotels to keep them quarantined from each other. And they would make the quarterfinals and semifinals just one match, uh, one off. Remember, the, the Champions League is more challenging than a league because you have teams flying uh, from country to country. So this would sort of negate that issue. But the, the one thing that they're wrestling with is that they're afraid that some of the television networks might ask for some money back because if you make the quarterfinals and semifinals just one game, you are denying them matches, Champions League matches they already essentially paid yeah. for. And so yeah. some of the television networks might ask for some of that money back. And so Wafer are going to try to make the case, no, I mean, we're still giving you the product. We promise you there's still a quarterfinal round, a semifinal round, and a final. So it would be an interesting yeah. issue there to sort out. But so that, that is a potential hangup of this format. But, but it is a proposal that's gaining a lot of momentum. And I expect next couple of weeks they're going to have to finalize what they're going to do with the Champions League this season. Yeah, but it goes back to what we talked earlier about if this is the best available then you you take it bird in the hand and all that kind of all that kind of stuff but it also they they may go and uh, get a best practice from mls or nwsl because that's what they're doing which leads us right into uh uh to mls what's the latest over there mossy when it comes to mls i must admit when we discussed mls last week we painted a rosy picture and said you know the differences that the two sides had were clearly going to get sorted out and it was a given that this orlando terminal was going to go forward <laughs> and then there was about a 24-hour period there where the news was very negative and i i almost texted alex dowd was like we might have to take down this podcast we sound like idiots <laughs> but then it sort of worked its way back around to what we said and the two sides did come to an agreement and so now this orlando tournament looks like is, is going to happen yeah, it wouldn't be the first time we look like idiots, let's be honest. <laughs> you know, having said that, you're absolutely right. It was some dicey times, and I am so happy that cooler heads prevailed uh, when it comes to this because, you know, as I've said before, the future of MLS is not promised to anyone, and it is a like to have, not a need to have. And so I get, you know, and what we're talking about here is the negotiation between the players and the owners and the, the, the league for how this was going to actually come about. And more importantly, the agreement when it comes to a CBA to ratify it and to agree. And there's leverage on both sides. This was a negotiation. But what has been interesting to me, you know, it finally got all sorted out, okay? But what has been interesting to me, and look, I'm a, I'm a former player. Uh, I guess I'm a former member of the, the union and the association. I don't know if, if you're... If you're, no, if you're no longer a player, they still represent you to a certain extent in, in, in certain things. But, you know, I have been there. Uh, I know how, I guess, contentious a negotiation can be. But to see the reaction of the players, okay, who ultimately, nobody ever gets anything, everything they want, but they got most of what they wanted. They, they have to be able to check this off as a, a win, I guess, if, if, uh, if, if there is such a thing. And there is such a thing, especially in the past where they have had to check the loser box when it comes to the, the way that it has been perceived. The players stood together. They ended up taking, what, a 5% salary decrease? I mean, relative to most people out there, that is, that is nothing, especially when initially I, I think the league wanted them to take 50%. So win, 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 okay, in terms of not making, uh, uh, you know, and taking a, a salary hit. 
the force majeure thing that, uh, that everyone was screaming and yelling out about when it comes to the owners and one of the reasons why Don Garber came out with that, you know, saying that he was going to lock them out, you know, that, that went away. So you got everything. And yet, all I've seen over the last week is players, and yeah, I'm going to use the word, whining and complaining. Oh, my God. And I know I sound like an old guy. I know I sound like grumpy old Lexi again, but I, I think it's warranted, okay? All I see is, oh, it was, I, I, you know, I, they've disrespected us, and it was, you know, it was contentious, and it's a negotiation, okay? Grow up. Have you ever been in a negotiation? Have you ever actually had to go through something? Yeah, it gets ugly at times, okay? But for them to feel so so hurt and bent out of shape, grow up. Oh, my goodness. And, and it was definitely coordinated because almost every article of the, the, uh, the leadership and the representation, you know, they all came out and said, oh, you know, I can't, I can't believe they did this and I can't believe they threatened to, to lock us out and the disrespect and the discord. And it, you know, they, make, they painted it as if, you know, this, is going, this hurt me so bad personally and this hurt us so badly uh, as a group. And we thought we, they had more respect for us. Come on, get out of here with that. Uh, no. Look, and I wasn't in the room, so I can only react to what, to what I see. But I just think it's a bad look. I think it's a bad look for the players and f- their leadership and their representation, I think, miscalculated by coming out after the fact and just, you know, on every single inter- interview, people saying it. You know, maybe that's the way that they feel. But I'm here to tell you, grow up. You're going to be just fine. And keep in mind that there's always another deal. And keep in mind that you're not always going to be a player. And the things that you say and do will reflect on you, will reflect on your group, and will impact further negotiations. So anyway, I just thought it was an interesting tact that the, uh, that the players took after they had won, basically. And that's a good thing when they win. I, I want them to win. I want them to get more money. I want them to get uh, more things Uh, going forward. Uh, But all of that is to say that we're going to have this tournament in Orlando. Still hasn't been announced. If you're listening to this on, we're recording this on Sunday, so you're probably listening to this on Monday. Still no announcement from Major League Soccer, but it's the worst kept secret in the world. It's going to happen. It's going to happen down in Orlando. It's going to be a much shorter period of time than originally uh, that was proposed uh, a while ago. And you know, I am, I'm excited about it. I'm excited because I'm excited to see Major League Soccer back. Uh, I'm excited to see soccer in the United States and in Canada back. Um, obviously not being played in Canada, but being played down in Orlando with Canadian teams. So this is, this is all a good thing. And I was on Don Garber, uh, Commissioner Don Garber's call this week, and he made a point of saying the unique situation that MLS is relative to uh, other leagues and the importance of the game day uh, fans just from a pure business standpoint and from an environment standpoint and how important it was therefore and maybe the pressure that they felt to get back uh, playing obviously safely but to get back playing maybe more so uh, than other leagues but we're still seeing other leagues that are coming back online other sports that are coming back on uh, online too so look maybe by the time you hear this MLS will have uh, announced it but all of those rumors out there about 
the group play about a Champions League spot for the, uh, for the winner, about the group play counting towards your regular season in terms of results, about a uh, million-dollar purse for the winner, about a title, uh, a separate type of title for the Orlando winner, whatever we're calling that person down there. All of those different things are in play. I think all of those things will be announced and be part of this tournament that's going to happen. I don't know what we're going we're gonna to call it. And I, for one, am excited. And I've said the last couple of podcasts, I'm excited also to see, once again, what the production looks like and what they are going to do. Uh, Don Garber also on a call made a point of saying that they are doing some things and they are looking at some things from a technical side that he thinks fans will have not seen and will be pleasantly surprised in terms of how they're going to do it. I don't know how that manifests. I have no idea, but I'm glad that they are doing that because it is important, the optics of this. Mossy. Uh, I think, Alex Dowd, you have your uh, Twitter clip for the week. Alexi Lalas telling MLS players to grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I, you know I love them. I mean, look, it's, you know, once again, they're, 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 their logical response to, to that is you're an old guy, you don't know, uh, you're not around, and, you know, you're just, uh, you're just you know, going to have hot takes and stuff like that. Okay, but this is... This is how I felt when I read every single time. And look, it's not that I wasn't aggrieved at times over the years. It's not that, that I didn't think that, uh, a, you know, that, that somebody said something that I didn't agree with, but everyone loves to say, it's business. I don't take it personally, okay? And you have to, you, you, you can't take it personally, okay? Yeah, he threatened, a, uh, he threatened a, uh, a lockout, to lock out the players, all right? It's a, it's a tactic. It's a business uh, tactic in a negotiation, okay? Get, get used to it, all right? There might be a time where you're going to use a tactic like that. But guess what? There's always another deal coming and those relationships uh, that involve human beings. So anyway, Mossy, anything else when it comes to the uh, leagues coming back online? No, that is it. All right. Like we said, La Liga coming back this week, and then other ones coming back in the next uh, in the next couple of weeks. We're looking to uh, check those out and see what they are uh, see what they are all about on and off the field. All right, we got Ask Alexi coming up as we do each and every week with that uh, hashtag Ask Alexi. Cannot wait. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's that time, uh, that time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms and you send us some questions and comments and concerns. And we pick through a few of them that uh, we think are interesting and that you would be interested in hearing our answers to as we have done this week and as we do each and every week. Mossy, what do the people want to know this week? First up, a topic I know you're very interested in. At Young Marvin G asks, do you think we'll ever see salary caps in the game? Infantino mentioned it. He's alluding to FIFA president Gianni Infantino coming out this week and suggesting that it might be a good idea for European football to adopt some sort of salary cap when we return to sort of deal with the aftermath of the you know, economic problems brought on by this crisis. Yes. Yeah, so th- this is not necessarily something that, that is new. Uh, that he's kind of skirted around it over the years and talked about much more fiscal responsibility uh, when it comes to how the sport is run. And I think that the, you know, the pandemic and the realities uh, and the challenges that have been put on leagues and clubs right now have only accelerated his desire to do something. Now, keep in mind that something was quote unquote done years back when the financial fair play type of situation came about, uh, which was intended 
to do some of this uh, and you know st uh, safeguard and, and stopgap type of mechanisms in order to hold people accountable for the money that they are spending. As we've seen, it, has it worked? Has it not? Well, it, it's, it's debatable. An actual salary cap uh, or a cap when it comes to the budget of your team. Now, that's a, that's a different type of, uh, of story, really. And yes, over here, it's something that we are used to. It is true that manufacturing parity in a league with something like a salary cap can create a more competitive league top to bottom and you're much less likely to have those super clubs. In the United States, uh, in all sports, including Major League Soccer, what we have seen is that, that understanding that each year, any team can win. And there is a romance to that, and there is a, um, an appreciation for that, and a love for that, and it is representative of that, that parody that you see relative to most leagues around the world that have the haves and the have-nots. I think that that is a good thing. I enjoy that. I enjoy the fact that when a league, when, the, when Major League Soccer, for example, starts at the beginning of the year, yes, you have teams that are better than others, but there's not that gap. And anybody can win. Also, playoffs uh, Im impact that. But when it comes to the parity that, that exists with that salary cap, it makes teams much closer. Now, there are still, there is still a separation and, and there is much more flexibility than there was when the league started out. But the other thing is, is that with a salary cap, one thing that can happen, and this is always that balance that, that, that leagues are trying to achieve, is that it can stifle ambition and it can lessen the pressure to compete and to improve and to evolve. And let's be honest, to keep up the things that light a flame under all of us to keep up, uh, keep an, up in life. And that's what competition ultimately is about. But the thing is that is super clubs, and I've been a proponent of super clubs, as many people love them as hate them, but everybody cares about them. And I, I, I would argue that even, even though I love the parody that the manufactured mechanisms like, uh, like a salary cap give us in MLS, I think MLS from a business standpoint could benefit from more super clubs. Like I said, clubs that far and away spend the most and therefore have wonderful fan bases that love them and huge fan bases that love to hate them. And I think that MLS in a strange way could go the opposite way more. And then maybe the Europeans with what Infantino is suggesting, uh, European leagues maybe go the opposite way towards us. And maybe we meet somewhere in the middle. I don't know what that ultimate system looks like Mossy, but I know that when you say salary cap to a lot of people that watch uh, European leagues or that are in Europe and watch it over there, they look at it as an Americanism type of thing. They look at it as something that's going to stifle what they have. And a lot of people want no part of it. What's interesting to me is the salary cap is ostensibly a move to help out the smaller clubs because there's a concern that smaller clubs are going to be hit disproportionately harder by the loss of revenue during this crisis. It's going to widen the gap between the haves and have-nots even more. But I've actually heard some smaller clubs push back against it because they've said their financial model is based on selling players. And if you limit how much the super clubs can spend for their players, they're actually going to be hurt financially by it. So that's yeah. sort of an interesting wrinkle to consider in this whole equation. It is, it is not a, I mean, it is a complete restructuring 
when we think about how this possibly could come to be and the philosophies and the traditions that have been in place and those business philosophies that have been in place for so long, they, they're not tweaked. They're, they're, some of them are just thrown out the window. And so law of unintended consequences and all these things. It's funny. I told you I've been watching this uh, Netflix documentary, Drive to Survive, about Formula One racing. Mm -hmm. And that's a sport that's been grappling with the same issue. There are a couple of teams, Ferrari and Mercedes, that have way more money than everybody else and thus a much better car. And so you, you go into the season already knowing that those are going to be the top two teams. And some people have been suggesting the sport needs greater parity. And so the 2020 season, which hasn't been able to get underway yet because of obviously the, the coronavirus, they had instituted a salary cap finally. Now, there were all sorts of loopholes that were going to enable the top teams to still spend a lot more money than everybody else. But I saw an interview with one of the proponents of the salary cap, and he said, look, I know that this doesn't have much teeth to it, and it's not going to accomplish much in the short term, but it was just important for us parody proponents to get our foot in the door, which I thought mm. was an interesting expression he used. And so I wonder if that's what Infantino is looking at here. Perhaps he can use this crisis to at least get his foot in the door. Because as you mentioned, it would be such a culture shift to institute any kind of salary cap. And perhaps you'll start with something pretty mild that's not going to have a great effect right away, but it'll at least get the ball rolling in that direction. How dare you, Mossy? How dare you? Because that door opens and that foot in the door opens and there's no shutting it, my man. That train will leave the station. And next thing you know, you got, you got anarchy. You got, you got the, the disbanding, uh, disbanding pro-rel. You got salary caps. You got people flying American flags all over the place. It's just, oh my goodness, Mossy. How, how dare you? How dare you take something that is so sacred to so many people and so traditional in the way that it is run and try to implement these, these progressive types of uh, things. It's just, it, you know, you, you, I can't believe you would, uh, you would do something like that. Look, uh, I don't know, nobody's right, uh, or we'll find out who is right, but it should come to, to the surprise of no one that someone like Johnny Infantino, whose job it is to make sure that FIFA finds a way to govern so that the, the, the sport expands, but also to make sure that the sport is not doing things that further on down the line are a problem. So it should be no surprise from a, a financial perspective, uh, especially in these times that someone like him comes out and says, hey, maybe, and maybe it is just a, a foot in the door and maybe it leads to bigger and, and for some people, maybe not necessarily better things uh, going forward. All right, what else, Mossy? Next question, at Mr. Andrew Cody, do you think an MLS team could survive in the EPL and not get relegated? Ooh, so we have this, this conversation uh, often about what level MLS is. You know, I always tell you that I can't tell you what the best league is. Uh, it is personal preference. It is whatever you feel the best league is, then that's the best league. When it comes to something like that, yes. The, you know, the short answer is yes. I do believe that an MLS team, and you know, let's pick one, LAFC, for example. I do believe that LAFC would be able to sustain in an EPL campaign. And, and look, I, I, this game that we play, I get it. Uh, you have to play in different environments that you're not used to. Okay, so first off, when it comes to the travel, the smoke and a coffee, all right? MLS players are laughing at the travel, or more importantly, the lack of travel 
when it comes to competing in, uh, in England. Weather, all right, try playing in Orlando in the middle of the summer, okay? And then having to play up in Toronto in the snow and then having to play over in Seattle in the rain. So if anybody is conditioned to play in rain or less than ideal weather, if you consider ideal weather the sun uh, and a beautiful day, MLS players got that, uh, got that covered. Style, I would argue that the style in Major League Soccer is much more diverse. And that might not be a good, th- a good thing in terms of competing in the EPL, where there's maybe, maybe a better understanding and a fundamental type of way that everybody plays. And I know, look, Man City plays a certain way, and so it's, it's not exact but there's a general understanding of the way the game is going to go. And I think MLS has a, a much more varied type of approach when it comes to how the game is played. So that might be a knock against uh, MLS. And people always kind of stereotype BPL and say it's a much more physical league. And so the physical part of it, that would, that would, not, be, uh, that would not be a problem. Adjustment of referees, because we know how, how the game is refereed in different countries and cultures. Well, that might be a thing or a possible uh, uh, a possible adjustment, you know, but ultimately I, I think that these are good teams and I think that a, a good team adapts and a good team manages uh, to figure out what needs to be done in every given uh, situation. So to answer your question, yes, I do think that uh, an MLS team could not just survive, but I think that they could th- thrive. Now, are they going to compete with the Man Cities and the Liverpools? I don't think so. Okay. Never know. Never know. They might rise to the occasion, but and I know people are going to say, "Ah, oh, you know, you're wearing your MLS heart on your sleeve." But I don't know, Mossy. What do you think? You think that an MLS team could survive? I mean, that was that was it from Andrew Cody. Just survive. Well, you know, this question reminds me of when people ask, uh, well, "What would happen if you put the U.S. national team in CONMEBOL World Cup qualifying?" And I always think. If you frame it as in a way where you're taking a team out of its reality it's used to and dropping it into a different reality, you're introducing all these variables that don't necessarily speak to the quality of the team, but they could impact their performance, as you mentioned, adapting to a different kind of schedule and weather and style of play and different kind of officiating. And I always find it more interesting, at least for me, to remove those variables from the equation, because what we really want to discuss is in terms of quality, how does an MLS team stack up to these EPL team. So I would prefer to look at it as if you took LAFC and put them on a neutral field tomorrow against the likes of Watford, West Ham, Bournemouth, Norwich, Aston Villa, how would they stack up? And, and I agree with you. I don't think they would be like outclassed. I think they, they could hold their own in that scenario, but you know, I'm sure folks in England would disagree. Well, that's also why I, even though it was kind of out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people, the 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 club world cup was always fun for me to see what it ended up looking like and you would see teams from regions and areas that either you just don't watch or don't have the high profile type of leagues so you're not watch so you're not watching it and you know your 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 dumb little side of your brain says well there's no possible way they could compete there's no possible way that they could go against somebody like liverpool and yet they do. They don't look out of place. It looks like a soccer game. Okay. It doesn't look like men against boys. And, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, that, that's really what these questions, uh, like you said, are, are, are dying to know. Will we ever know? No, but it's a fun little exercise, uh, exercise to do. And, 
you know, because I hear people say, well, MLS is basically the, equi- the equivalent of the championship or, you know, they'll pick whatever league, uh, le- uh, league you want. It's never going to happen, so we're never going to know. But you're, you're here asking us the question. I think both of us agree that, without a doubt, an MLS team could survive in the EPL and not get relegated. Next, Masi. And last question. At King Kirby 5 do you think USA soccer will ever get top USA athletes, i.e. football and basketball players? Maybe they already have. Maybe all the greatest American athletes have actually played soccer. All right, look, I say that because years ago, I did a, uh, a coffee table book. I didn't put the book together. I was part of a, a, a photographer's uh, exhibit uh, that turned into a coffee table book where he went around and he took pictures of athletes. Insert joke here, but he wanted to take a picture of me. Okay, I get it. What he would do is have us in a studio up against a black backdrop. So there's no, nothing behind us. All we were able to wear was basically kind of like sliding shorts, black briefs, if you will, okay? Uh, men and women. So it was just to see what we looked like. And the point of this exhibit and this ultimately this book was to show how all of these elite athletes or all the quote best athletes out there, how completely different the body types were, okay? So what you'd need to do first is tell me what your definition of an athlete is. So for example, we have this question of, all right, who's the greatest player or basketball player playing today, okay? LeBron James, okay, you're not gonna be angry at me if I say that, right, Mossy, is that okay? Correct. Okay, so LeBron James. What if LeBron James had played soccer, okay? Maybe if LeBron James had played soccer, he would have stopped playing sports after sixth grade because he couldn't figure it out, okay? Just because somebody is good in one sport doesn't mean that they will be good in another sport, okay? And I know we use this term loosely of athletes, and we all grew up and say, ah, well, the the kid was just a great athlete, and he would have been great at everything. He might have been good at everything, but great and great makes you potentially be a professional athlete. And look, I'm, I'm not denying that if every kid grew up in the United States playing soccer, that it wouldn't be beneficial to the game. But it's not as simple as saying, what if all of our best athletes played uh, soccer? If all of our, what you would consider best athletes played soccer, or what I would consider best athletes played soccer, a lot of the great athletes that you associate with out there, you would never have heard of, okay? Now, some of them you would. Some of them, if they had started early in soccer, would have figured out the game and could have been not just good, but could have been great, could have been the best, could have been the best ever. But when I, you know, when I see, give us your athletes, your, Tiger Woods. What if Tiger Woods had played soccer from a young age? You know, would he have been... A great soccer player? I don't know. What if, what if Tom Brady had played soccer from a young age? Uh, you know, and we can go through the list and think about what it would be like. And look, I get why it's nice to think about that. But I'm just saying it's not as simple. And I would submit to you that 
if our limited definition of what a good athlete is, okay, is only used, you might actually squeeze out others. So if in the American psyche, we take all of our quote unquote best athletes and play soccer, you might not get a Messi, okay? Because in the stereotypical definition of what an athlete is, let's be honest, Messi does not live, <laughs> does not live up to that. So anyway, this is, this is another one of these questions that we get often, and that's the way that I, that I think about it. And having said all that, I would love for all of the athletes that we have playing other sports, I would love for them to have played soccer from a young age and to see how that would have changed or benefited the, uh, the sport. I'm just saying that the path that they all ended up taking even though it was a forced path oftentimes because soccer maybe wasn't an option or they, they, didn't, they just didn't see that as something that they could do, that path, if they had gone the soccer way, might not be as long and as successful as the path that they took, as you may think that that path may be. So anyway, Moss, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's never going to happen. So I've always found this to be kind <laughs> of a pointless discussion. I remember in the early days of this podcast, our former producer, Francis Silva, used to frequently pitched this as a State of the Union topic. And you'll notice Frances Silva is no longer around <laughs> at this point. She's been replaced by French philosophy expert, Luis Aguilar. <laughs> That's true. That is true. No, we love Frances. She's fine. Uh, she's great. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the State of the Union would look like. It might be an interesting exercise to do in the in the future. But look, this is, you know, this is, this is where we, uh, where we are when it comes to how we think, but our country and culture is unique with the past that we have with the competition of other, other sports. And it's always going to be like that. Even if soccer becomes the most popular sport in the United States, it's still going to be an American, uh, version. So before I get into my one for the road, Mossy, uh, anything more on the, uh, ask Alexi questions. No, no. Before you get to your final thought, I did sure. want to sneak in some quick Timo Werner thoughts. I didn't have any other place to put this. On the, yeah, on the yeah, podcast. definitely. Uh, and I'm wondering if Alex Dowd, he's been awfully quiet these last few weeks. Is he able to chime in on this conversation? Uh, because uh, it appears that after being linked with Liverpool forever, Timo Werner now all signs point to him signing with Alex Dowd's beloved Chelsea. Alex, listen, come on. We're on a Zoom call here. Put your, uh, you, know, you know, talk to us here. Are you there? A, uh, we had a conversation about this last week, which actually proved quite prescient. Uh, <laughs> Alex just texted us. He doesn't want to jinx it because the news is not official yet. But let me, let me just get some thoughts out there ahead of time because it does sound like he is going to end up with Chelsea. Uh, listen, as we discussed last week, Liverpool have built a squad in which at most positions, it's pretty delineated who the starter is and who the backup is. And particularly that front three the last couple of years, if it's a big game and everybody's healthy, you know it's going to be Firmino. Salah and Mane and the backups at those positions are real backups guys like Shakiri and Origi who have that kind of super sub mentality uh, so if, if you're going to sign an attacking player it's either going to have to be somebody so good that it would compel Klopp to break up that front three which given the success they've had and the understanding they have with each other it would almost have to be like an Mbappe level player or you sign somebody that slots in nicely as a backup and Timo Werner is neither of those. He sort of floats in that weird in-between. He's not quite Mbappe good. He's not somebody that 
I think would compel Klopp to break up that front three that's been so successful the last couple of years. But he's too good to be a backup. I'm sorry. He's much oh, better than yeah. that Shakiri Origi level. And I heard Liverpool fans trying to talk themselves into a role for Werner in the next 18 months or so that he's so overqualified for. I'm sorry. You don't sign a guy like Timo Werner just as cover for the AFCON or whatnot. So this never totally made sense to me. Uh, Timo Werner is not a young guy anymore. He's 24 years old. He's in his prime. And it, it made sense that he wants to go to a team where if he performs, there's a path towards him being a week-in, week-out starter and one of the pillars of the team. And I think Chelsea, look, they have other good attacking players too. It's not like he's just going to walk into the lineup. He's going to have to earn it. But I think there's a much more realistic path there for him to become a week-in, week-out starter for Chelsea next season than there would have been for Liverpool. So it makes sense to me that, that Liverpool sort of balked at, at – paying all that money for a guy who would ostensibly be a backup. And Werner, who's in the prime of his career, his, his stock is sky high, kind of balked at going to a situation where he, he perhaps didn't have much of a path to being a regular starter. So it makes sense that the Liverpool-Werner thing kind of broke down at the end there. And now it looks like he might end up with Chelsea. I mean, but let's be honest. Anybody going to Liverpool at this point, beyond Mbappe, right, or Messi, is going to be put in that all right well are they going to start aren't they going to start you know would you rather if you were if you were Liverpool would you rather sign Timo Werner or Jaden Sancho I would sign Jaden Sancho why you think he's a better player I think he's he's a better player with a higher ceiling and the fact that he's younger means Klopp might have been able to finesse it for a year or so and convince him, hey, I'll get you some games in there. There's enough games. I think Timo Werner doesn't have that kind of time to waste. He's 24. I mean, he's he's sort of in but the you right would, smack but in you his would admit, right But you would admit that even if Liverpool signed Jadon Sancho, it would still be the same conversation that we were having with Timo Werner and like, well, is he going to play or is he going to be a super sub or anything like, right? I mean, they're yeah, both I mean, the Sancho, same. Right? You know how I feel about him. To me, he's knocking closer in the door of that Mbappe level than Werner is. I mean, Ooh, okay. he might show up and, and just Mossy. perform so well that, that Klopp would actually feel compelled to, to, to drop one of those three or sell them and, and then insert Sancho right in the starting lineup. Just want to make sure everybody mean. heard it, okay? I, I could be wrong, but I think David Mossy just compared Jaden Sancho to Gillian Mbappe, all right? That's high praise indeed. Uh, we, will, we will see how that all ultimately plays out. Anything else, Mossy? No, but I mean, we'll, we'll, if this deal goes down, we'll talk about it more in the coming weeks. But it would be mean another attacking player thrown into the mix. Remember, Chelsea already signed Hakim Ziyech. And so we can discuss the Pulisic implications. It looks like some guys like William and Pedro are going to be moving out the door. You still have all those English guys like Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson-Odoi. So Chelsea putting together quite the attack there. I, I imagine Alex Dowd is getting some ideas about next season, but he doesn't want to go there yet. You know, Alex very cautious. So he very cautious. He, he doesn't want to jinx it like we that, said. Okay. Chiming in on this conversation, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I understand. I understand. I think it would be a wonderful signing for Alex Dowd's Chelsea and for the neutrals to be able to watch Timo Werner uh, challenged in a way that he that he hasn't been, uh, and obviously a new uh, uh, new scenery, new circumstances, uh, and a new adventure. I, w- I will love to see that. And and it should be noted that the money associated with him uh, was negotiated into his contract. So on the open market, he would be worth a whole lot more, but activating that buyout clause is what's enabling these teams to get him and to let's be honest get him for a reduced uh, reduced fee all right Mossy, we come to the end of another show and each uh, each time at the end of the show i give you uh one for the road i talked to earlier about having a conversation with a friend of mine i've been having a lot of conversations uh, especially in this day and age where we're zooming 
all the time, it seems, seems I'm on Zoom calls uh, every single day. Uh, and I was having a, a conversation with a friend of mine who thinks about American soccer, someone that I respect, uh, and someone that um, is very intelligent when it comes to American soccer. And we were talking about the, you know, the sensitivity that as American soccer people we have to our sport. Now, I've told you plenty of times that we have this inferiority complex and this insecurity when it comes to what we are and what we aren't, and especially the way we are depicted and the way that we are seen through the eyes of other soccer fans, be it domestic or internationally, or just other sports fans out there. And that comes from a long history of being uh, looked down on and not taken seriously. And that's, you know, that's, that's been part of the, the fight and the, uh, you know, and part of the fun, to be quite honest with you, is building this up to gain credibility uh, and to gain relevancy. And it's something that I love about the sport of soccer in the unique aspect. I talked earlier about how unique American soccer is and how it is always going to be unique because of the, uh, the country that we, uh, that we live in. But we were also talking to, you know, this week about how that sensitivity uh, can be detrimental and can hold us back as we go forward. And whether it's with Major League Soccer or other aspects of soccer, there are new people and new thinkers and new thoughts when it comes to where we are going. And some of those old and traditional insecurities uh, can ultimately hold us back from going, uh, from going forward. And I'll be the first to admit that I take things personally, I guess, or I'm, I'm sensitive when people say things about American soccer or American soccer players or American soccer soccer leagues. It is la cosa nostra. It is our thing, as I say all the time, warts, uh, warts and all. And it is not perfect. But there also has to come a point where we have better perspective and more perspective. And we are more comfortable in what we are as an American soccer playing nation. And I know we're not there yet, but we also have to recognize and be able to understand what is important and what isn't important and what to get riled up about and what not to get riled up about. And too often, and I, I will be the first to admit that I am, I am guilty of this, I sometimes get riled up about things that in the greater scheme of things, when it comes to soccer, I'm not talking about the greater scheme of things when it comes to life, because we all know that soccer any, and, and all sports pale in comparison. Uh, but in the greater scheme, when it comes to soccer, it's not something that we should uh, that we should worry about. So when somebody says something, either one of our own or from the outside, when somebody says something, and we think it's you know the worst thing in the world to, to possibly say something like that, it first off recognize that a lot of times it's it's gone in a day, and secondly, it's we have limited resources, and so we have to be prudent. And we have to be efficient and we have to be strategic about what we spend our time screaming and yelling about. So, for example, you know, I've screamed and yelled about this Orlando situation coming up from uh, with MLS. And I know sometimes I sound grumpy and there are there is a generation of us that are defensive and, like I said, sensitive to how MLS is going to be viewed in the greater scheme of things. I do think it's a it's important. And I do think it's worthy of, of us discussing. And this is what we do on, on our podcast and what we do when it comes to soccer. You know, however, 
uh, harping on the optics of what Orlando is going to be. You know, harping and worrying and concerning myself with how is the production going to be viewed by the American public, whether they're soccer people or not? How is, this, how is it going to be viewed by the soccer people? Are we going to get, are we going to look minor league? Well, I think that there's a discussion to be had. Uh, you know, the discussion that I had with, with my friend was, we got to be able to get over that. And we have to be able to just let the chips fall where they may and recognize that there are other fights that are much more important. There are other things that we can focus our energies and focus our resources on with the recognition that you're never going to please everybody. And, you know, maybe that's a much more evolved and I guess, for lack of a better word, youthful type of um, view. And I'm, I turned 50, as you all know, last, uh, last week. I consider myself... <laughs> I still consider myself young, but I am 50, and I do harbor these traditional types of views when it comes to our sport. I don't want to, to always do that. Uh, I want to be able to have better perspective and see past and recognize and celebrate all the good that we do have when it comes to our, to our sport and all the potential. And I don't want to be an obstacle or a hindrance to that with the baggage that I bring uh, from the past. So I'm trying to harness that in a, in a better way going forward. Doesn't mean that I'm not going to be cantankerous every once in a while. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be grumpy every once in a while. Doesn't mean I'm not going to call out stuff that I see as ridiculous, but maybe with a little bit more perspective when it comes to what's going on in soccer. And more importantly, what is going to happen in soccer and how I can help and how all of us can continue to help. So Hopefully I formulated uh, and articulated that in the right way because it was just something that I was thinking about. And that's, you know, my one for the road. So it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't mean that you can't learn. It doesn't mean that you can't change. It doesn't mean that you can't adjust. And in doing so, it doesn't also mean that you can't be yourself. And it doesn't also mean that the things that you believe in and the personality that you have has to go away. So anyway, that's what I was thinking about this week when it came to uh, the game of soccer and uh, the one that I love in particular, the game of soccer here in the United States and where it's been, where it is, and more importantly, uh, where it's heading. So uh, with that, I say thank you. Mossy, anything to say before we go? That's it. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there. We know that uh, these continue to be interesting and challenging times, and we appreciate and thank you so much for having us uh, as part of your uh, uh, part of your week when it comes to uh, podcast listening. Uh, use that hashtag, Ask Alexia. Send us your questions, comments, concerns out there. Uh, and whether you're uh, downloading, rating, reviewing, listening on uh, Spotify or YouTube, watching us on YouTube or Apple Music or anything else out there, thank you so much for your patronage. And thank you so much for, like I said, spending a little bit of time uh, and just an hour away, nice little respite from uh, the realities uh, and at times the sobering realities of the moment in history that we're living through. All right, we will see you again uh, next week. And as always, size the deck.